this morning to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 for our time of study in God's Word this morning. Uh, Here at Cornerstone, uh, we gather every Sunday, every Lord's Day, in order to worship God through singing and praying, but we also want to worship God by listening to to Him. And so we try to spend as much time as we do singing, uh, actually listening to God, and God receives our listening as an act of worship uh, to Him. And so we open up the Bible and we let God speak to us, and whatever He tells us, we want to embrace that and uh, allow our lives to be molded and shaped by God's Word as we come to understand it. And this being our Christmas service, what we normally do in the Sunday prior to Christmas every year is um, there's four sections, four parts of what we consider the Christmas narrative in the gospel accounts in the New Testament. And we try to cycle around every four years to uh, one of those sections. And this morning we uh, arrive at Luke chapter one, verse uh, 26 and following. This is the part of the Christmas narrative where Gabriel, the angel, appears to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and announces to her that she is about to conceive Jesus in her womb. And the angel tells her some remarkable things about this Jesus that is going to be conceived in her womb. And we're able to observe Mary and her response to all of this as it unfolds. If you want to give a title to the message this morning, it would be, from fear to worship, from fear uh, to worship. You know, one of the things that has stood out to me this year um, as I restudied this narrative in Luke chapter one is the transformation that Mary undergoes as the narrative uh, unfolds here in these these verses. Essentially, in the early verses, we find Mary Uh, very troubled. We find her pondering deeply and we find her actually afraid. But as the narrative unfolds, we see Mary moving from fear and from being very troubled and from thinking deeply. We find her moving to a place of belief, a place of surrender, a place of rejoicing and a place of exalting and worshiping uh, God. And I love that about stories such as this that we find in the Bible, because often we find ourselves very troubled. We find ourselves fearful and kind of casting back and forth in our mind, trying to assess a circumstance that we find ourselves in. And as we watch Mary move from that state of being to a state of worship and rejoicing, faith and surrender, hopefully we'll be able to learn how we can allow God to help us to make that same journey as well. Now, what's intriguing is you might look at the screen behind me and say, okay, so in the early verses, Mary's very troubled. She's pondering deeply and she's afraid. Why did something bad happen to her? Did, did somebody say something mean and scary to her? Well, that's the interesting thing. Uh, the truth is an angel has appeared to her and has spoken to Mary the most encouraging words that anyone could ever hope to hear from an angel. The angel Gabriel, we're going to see, appears to to Mary, and literally in the Greek text, 
He says, be rejoicing. And then he says, you are favored or you are graced. And then he says, the Lord is with you. Is there anything scary about that? No, I mean, these are encouraging words. Rejoice. You're a favored one and the Lord is with you. And yet Mary responds to those amazingly encouraging words by being very troubled and by pondering uh, in her mind and by being afraid. People have speculated as to why. And one writer suggests that evidently in her modesty, uh, she did not understand why a heavenly visitor should greet her in such an exalted manner or in such exalted terms. She's not accustomed to being greeting, greeted this way and spoken so highly of, especially by a heavenly visitor. And so it kind of freaks her out. She doesn't know what to make of it. Others suggest that an angelic being making an appearance like this and speaking to her in this way uh, would indicate clearly to Mary that she is being chosen for some very significant purpose in God's kingdom purposes. And she's not quite so sure that she's up to that task. But nonetheless, here's an angel, a messenger of God who's come to give her good news. And he says, rejoice, you're favored. The Lord is with you, speaking wonderful news to her. And it leaves her troubled and pondering and afraid, teaching us that sometimes God's messages of grace to us that are designed to bring us joy trouble us instead. It indicates to us what we all know is true, and that is that sometimes God's messengers of good provoke fear in us. I've had people at times approach me about some issue in my life, and they, in approaching me, were very clearly instruments of gracious good in my life, And yet I did not like them in that moment. There have been times as a pastor where I have I think I'm being an instrument of good in the life of a person. But it's very evident to me that I'm that person's worst nightmare in the early going. And there's a sense where we see some of that happening here. This is all very human. And 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 what ends up happening is the angel speaks these words. Mary is troubled. She's pondering. She's afraid. But then the angel Gabriel begins to speak some really wonderful truths to her about Jesus in verses 30 through 37, leaving her, moving her to a place of belief and surrender, rejoicing and worshiping uh, God. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to watch this journey take place and we're going to just go through the narrative. We're going to enjoy the the story and the telling of the story. And the way we're going to frame the story this morning is we're going to observe six responses of Mary to the good news that Gabriel spoke to her and seeing the journey she makes from point A to point B. Uh, will help us, I think, in getting from our being troubled and afraid and casting back and forth doubtfully in our minds to hopefully a place of worship, joy, surrender, and faith. Well, the first response that we're going to observe is this, and that is that she became agitated and fearful. The angel appears and begins speaking good to her, uh, and her first response is that she becomes agitated and fearful. Look at what it says in verse 26. 
It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Now, real quickly, this will take me like 20 seconds. When he says in the sixth month, that harkens back to something that just happened that we don't have time to 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 read about this morning. But earlier in chapter one, Gabriel has appeared to an elderly man named Zacharias. And he uh, Zacharias is married to an elderly woman named Elizabeth, who is barren. They are childless. And uh, the angel Gabriel tells Zacharias that, hey, uh, God is miraculously going to enable you and your wife to conceive a child and your wife is going to give birth in her old age and you're going to call your son's name John and he's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah who will prepare the people of Israel for the Messiah who is soon to come. So that happened six months earlier and now the narrative in verse 26 picks up. Now, in the sixth month after that event took place, when Gabriel appeared to Zacharias in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, a very small town. Even today, Nazareth is no more than about 10,000 people and was no doubt even smaller uh, back in Mary's day, a very lowly esteemed uh, village. So he comes to Nazareth, verse 27, to a particular person, to a virgin. This is a woman who is sexually pure. Uh, She has never had relations with a man to a virgin who is engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. She's in her betrothal period. She's engaged. So uh, they are technically in the eyes of the law, husband and wife, but they're not living together yet. She's waiting for a day to come at some point in the future when Joseph, after all things were ready, would come and take her to be his wife and they would then live under the same roof. That event has not taken place yet. So she's still living with her parents and he is still no doubt living with his parents. And the angel comes to this virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph and of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary or literally in the Greek text, Miriam, which, by the way, means excellent. And we'll find that she indeed is a most excellent uh, woman. Only the most excellent would do for the mother of the son of God. Now, one of the. One detail that is not specifically stated here, but I've not read any writer that would actually take issue with this, um, that almost certainly Mary was a teenager at the time where these events in Luke chapter one take place. Typically in this society, in this day, a Jewish girl was married somewhere between you ready for this between the age of 13 and 17. Between 13 and 17, in fact, back in this day, if a girl reached the ripe old age of 18 and she was still unmarried, she was called an old maid. So imagine uh, living in a society like that. Now, um, just just to help us with this, if you are a girl and you're somewhere between the age of 13 and 17, just raise your hand. All girls 13 to 17, not you, Chris. Um, okay. If you look around and see any that are uh, holding up their hand, you can get an idea of about how old Mary, uh, very likely was. If she was attending Cornerstone, she would, 
uh, be in our junior high or senior high ministry. This is a teenage <clears throat> girl. And um, uh, so just looking at those details, look at how Mary ends up responding. All right. Now, one of the things Gabriel's going to appear, look at what it says in verse 28 and coming in. So we know that Mary was indoors somewhere and probably in her house doing chores, praying, whatever. And Gabriel comes in. And by the way, the name Gabriel means strong one of God. All right. And no doubt he looked the part, an intimidating, imposing, uh, angelic being, the warrior, the strong one, the mighty one of God. And he comes in and he says to her, now, I know what Gabriel's thinking. I think I know what he's thinking. In the New Testament, whenever angels appear in the gospel accounts, they always freak people out. Uh, earlier in chapter one, he appears to Zacharias. Zacharias was beside himself with fear. And Gabriel had to say, first of all, stop being afraid. In Luke two, the angel of the Lord appears to the shepherds, right? And it says they were terribly afraid. And the first words out of the angel's mouth was stop being afraid. Gabriel's like, I'm going to get it right this time. All right. Not going to frighten her. So he comes in and says, rejoice, graced one. The Lord is with you. Nothing wrong with that. That's very encouraging words that Gabriel speaks to her. But look at verse 29. But she, by way of response, was very troubled at this statement. Uh, she w- this, this literally means she was agitated through and through by this statement. No doubt she's agitated by a man showing up in her home that she's never seen before. And he's not just a man, but an imposing man who seems more than human. And he's actually speaking directly to her. And these words, rejoice, you're a graced one. The Lord is with you. No one's ever talked to her this way before. And she's very troubled, yea, even agitated through and through by this message that Gabriel has thus far actually communicated to her. This is no casual perplexity. We know this because in verse 30, literally, Gabriel has to say, stop being afraid. She's filled with fear. So this positive greeting did not eliminate her being fearful, just as the shepherds and Zacharias were. And but she's more obsessing on the statement. Now, by the way, just real quickly, the angel says, rejoice, you're a grace one. The Lord is with you. I just want to throw this in real quick that all those things, these three things that Gabriel says to Mary, God says to all of us who are his children who have believed in Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always, we're told in Philippians. We're also told that we're graced ones. In Ephesians 1, 6, Paul speaks of God's grace. And then he says literally, with which he graced us in the beloved. If you're a Christian, you have been graced. You are a favored one. And Jesus tells us, I am with you always. So we know the Lord is with us. But the angel speaks this to her and she's left troubled. But there's a second response. Let's give her credit for this. She pondered. Even though she's fearful and agitated through and through, she doesn't lose her mind here. Her mind becomes engaged and she's pondering. She's thinking very hard about what's going on here and what has been said. It says, but she was very troubled at this statement and she kept on pondering what kind of salutation this was. 
This word pondering is the Greek word we get our English word dialogue from. All right. So there's this inward dialogue that is taking place inside her mind and heart where she's kind of going one way with her mind and then, no, that can't be. And she goes another way. and She's kind of casting back and forth with this inner dialogue. Meanwhile, Gabriel's just standing there. He's given this wonderful greeting and he's not getting any response from Mary. She's just seized with fear and she's thinking, trying to figure out what kind of salutation this was back in this day. Uh, they had a whole sophisticated, unwritten code of of greetings. And typically the superior ranking person would initiate the greeting. The inferior social ranking person would respond to the greeting. But even the person of inferior social rank would have to kind of assess who is this person and what is their relation to me in order to know the precise an appropriate greeting to deliver back to him. Mary has an angelic being, this man who is superhuman. He's an angelic being coming to her saying, rejoice, grace, when the Lord is with you. And Mary's like, what kind of greeting is this? And what's the appropriate response? My parents have never taught me how to respond to a greeting from an angel. What's the appropriate way to respond to a salutation like this? From a being like this. Well, she's engaging in this dialogue and unfortunately she has no response for the angel. And so sensing the awkwardness of the moment, Gabriel continues speaking, says verse 30, after she kept pondering and there was no reply, it says in verse 30. So the angel said to her, stop being afraid, Mary, stop being afraid. For you have found grace with God. This is a significant statement. We find it or something similar to it just a few times in Scripture. Uh, Noah, basically, whenever someone finds grace with God, what that means is they've been chosen for a very significant purpose. Okay. Um, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and God used Noah in a great way. Right. Uh, with the flood and bringing deliverance to the human race through his lineage. Hannah, the mother of Samuel, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God gave her miraculously, essentially, a, a child who, became, who was Samuel and who was a leader uh, to the people of Israel in a time where they needed that leadership. And then King David also found favor and grace with God and became a premier king in Israel's history. And now Mary takes her place right alongside of them next to Noah and Hannah and King David. And the angel is telling her, you have found grace with God. God is going to use you for a very significant purpose that ranks up there with what he did through Noah, Hannah and David. Here's what it is. Verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Now, he's not saying, hey, just want to let you know at some point in the next few years, you're going to conceive a son. There's a sense of imminence here in the very near future, uh, perhaps this very day, very, very soon in the next few moments, in the next day or two. Uh, you are going to conceive in your womb and what will be conceived in your womb will be a boy 
And that boy will live to full term and you will bear, you will give birth to a son and that son will live to his eighth day uh, to where he is circumcised on his eighth day. And on that day, that is the day of his circumcision when you bestow upon him his name. And on that eighth day of his life, when he is circumcised, you shall name him Jesus. Which is the Greek for the Hebrew Yahushua or Joshua. The Yeh is Yahweh or Jehovah. Hoshua is the word for salvation. Jesus means literally Jehovah is salvation or Jehovah saves. So he's saying you are imminently just in the next few moments, in the next day or two, in the very near future, you're going to conceive in your womb. You're going to bear a son. You're going to name him Jehovah saves Because he will be a bringer of salvation from Jehovah God. He goes on. Verse 32 says he will be great. Now, Mary's thinking at this one, I'm going to bear a son. He's going to be named Joshua or Jesus. Jehovah saves. He's going to be great. Well, Joshua in the Old Testament, he was a deliverer, a leader to the people of Israel. And yes, he was great. But watch how the angel blows past any paradigm that Mary may have had. He will be great. And the idea of that uh, it has no qualification, meaning he will be the great one. He will be the greatest of the great. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. That's a royal title. It's a messianic title indicating that her son will be the Messiah. The Messiah King that the Jews have longed for for many, many centuries is coming and she will be the mother of the Messiah. She will be giving birth to this Messiah who will be called the son of the most high. Look at this, verse 33, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. This would tell Mary volumes here. Right now, the Romans are in charge, right? There is no throne of of David that's in operation at this time. But Mary would now know from what Gabriel is saying that at some point, somehow, some way, the Romans are going to be removed from power. The throne of David's going to be reestablished. And my son, who's going to be eminently conceived in my womb, is going to be the one that God sits upon the throne of our father, David. And he's not just going to reign for 20 years or 40 years like King David did. Look at this. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. He will reign infinitely over the house of Jacob forever and ever. And not only that, look at this, and his kingdom will have no end. Not only will he reign forever, but the kingdom he reigns over will go on forever. Now, there are some writers who suggest that the expression his kingdom will have no end. You can understand that chronologically, meaning it will never in time come to an end. But others suggest, and I think this is valid, that the angel could be saying, he could be speaking spatially, that his kingdom uh, will never come to an end. In other words, you will never be able to reach the outer borders spatially of his reign, of his rule. We can go to Washington, D.C. today and we can 
look at the headquarters of our governmental, federal governmental authority. And then we could span in any direction from there. And if we travel long enough, we will come to the outer border of our federal government's governing authority. And once we reach that border, if we then go to the other side of that border, we are now past the point where the government of the United States power comes to an end. It doesn't reach beyond that. But with the kingdom of this son that will be conceived in Mary's womb, he will reign forever. And a part of what the angel is likely saying is that the kingdom that he will reign over there, no one will ever be able to reach the outer borders of his kingdom. He will reign over the entire physical and material universe. All authority in heaven and on earth will be given to your son. That's just guys, just just a few moments earlier, Mary was doing chores in her house. And an angel appears and tells her these amazing things about her son. And as the angel begins to speak, she's agitated and fearful. And then she ponders. And now the angel gives her more revelation and speaks more wonderful news to her about what's going to happen to her. And we then come to a third response of Mary. And that is she questioned She questioned, I am amazed that Mary only had one question. Um, I think most of us would have had a gazillion questions, but she just has one. And it's it's just a mechanical question. It's a biological question. It says in Luke one, verse thirty four, and Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? Literally, how can this be since I am knowing no man? How can this be since I am not involved in sexual relations with any man? Now, in asking this question, Mary's not doubting uh, the angel. She's not unbelieving of what the angel is saying. It's just that she understands biology. Her mom and dad have had the talk with her and she she knows how this kind of thing normally works. And if there's going to be a conception, then in normal biology, then that means I need to be physically involved with a man. And so she's hearing what the angel says and she believes what the angel says, but she's more kind of wanting to know what am I supposed to do here? Is there is there something I'm supposed to do? How can this be? How can I imminently in the very near future today or tomorrow or whatever conceive in my womb when I I. I am not engaging in physical relations with any man. That's a fair question. And Gabriel answers that question. Look at verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Um, notice, guys, Gabriel doesn't say a whole lot here. Uh, Mary's like, how can this be? I'm not having relations with any man. And Gabriel says, I got it. I understand your question. Here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. 
Got it. I mean, he's not revealing a lot here, but he's saying enough to Mary for her to know the radical truth that the biological father of her child will be God. The biological father of the child that will be conceived in her womb will be God. This is a woman who a few moments earlier was doing her chores, something in her house, and is now visited by the strong one of God, Gabriel, the angel who stands in the presence of God, and she's found favor with God. The Lord is with her. She's a graced one, and she's going to conceive eminently in her womb. She's going to give birth to a son. She's going to call him Jehovah saves. He's going to be the greatest of the great. He's going to be called the Son of the Most High. He will be the Messiah. He's going to reign forever, and His kingdom will have no outer limits. And the biological father of the child that will be conceived in her womb is God. Gabriel then says to Mary in verse 36, And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, in informing Mary of this, the angel's dropping a hint. Hey, go see your cousin Elizabeth. Go spend some time uh, with her. And that's exactly what Mary does. The angel doesn't have to tell her to go see her. Uh, really, she uh, makes haste to go spend some time with Elizabeth, who was six months into her pregnancy uh, with John the Baptist in her womb. And uh, Mary spends about three months with with Elizabeth. And then after they give birth to John the Baptist, Mary then returns back to her hometown. So she questions the angel and the angel provides an answer. And after asking that one question, Mary has no more questions. There's a fourth response of Mary to the good news that Gabriel made known to her or spoke to her. And that is she believed she believed uh, and there's a reason we know that she believed, and that is because Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, is the one who lets us know that. When Mary ran to go spend time with Elizabeth and Elizabeth sees Mary, you guys know the story that uh, John the Baptist leaps in Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth then begins to uh, speak blessing upon Mary. And, and she says to Mary, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then Elizabeth says to Mary in chapter one, verse 45, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Elizabeth is like, you're blessed to be the mother of the Messiah. And not only that, Mary, but you are blessed because you believed the word that the angel spoke to you when he announced to you these things that would take place. Now, the question is, why is that a big deal to Elizabeth? Why does Elizabeth make a big deal out of the fact that Mary believed the words of the angel Gabriel? Why does she say you're blessed because you actually believed what the angel declared to you? Well, there's a reason for that, and that is because six months earlier, when Gabriel, the same angel, appeared to Zacharias and said, I know you're old and your wife is old and your wife is barren, but 
God's going to give you a son. Your wife is going to conceive and you're going to call him John the Baptist or John, and he will be a forerunner to the Messiah. And so this angel Gabriel appears to Zacharias and announces uh, this wonderful thing to Zacharias. And you know how Zacharias responded? Look at this. Look at this on the screen. Verse 18 of Luke chapter one it says, and Zacharias said to the angel, how will I know this for certain? How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. By the way, I love Zacharias's tact here. I, I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. Good lesson for us husbands. Um, but do you see the difference between his question and Mary's question? Mary's like, how can this be since I am not having relations with a man? In other words, I need you to explain this so I know what my role is in this. Uh, Zacharias is saying, how can I know this for sure? How can I know this for certain? What he's saying is, I'm not sure I believe what you're saying. Can you give me something that can help me know for sure this is going to happen? And guys, just just a free word of advice. If the angel Gabriel ever appears to you in his heavenly glory and announces to you something that's going to happen, don't stand in front of him and say, could you give me something that would help me know for sure this will happen? Can you give me a sign? Gabriel is the sign. Okay. in fact, look at how Gabriel responds in verse 19. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. Kind of as if to say, I am Gabriel. What am I chopped liver here? I'm an angel from God that is standing in front of you. There's there's no normal prophet that's announcing this to you. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. I am the sign. Gabriel is saying, but since you asked for a sign, verse 20, behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. So from that moment on, Zacharias is dumb. He's not able to speak at all. He would have come home and Elizabeth is like, how was your day? He can't talk to her and she wants to know what's going on. So eventually I'm sure he communicated somehow through writing or whatever that he didn't believe the angel. So he lets her know the news, but also says, I didn't believe. And so I can't talk. And so Elizabeth, poor Elizabeth has been living for six months with a husband who can't speak. Maybe for some of you ladies, that's not a bad thing. But for six months, she's been living in complete silence in her home with the husband who cannot speak. And now Mary shows up and Elizabeth is like, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb and blessed is she. So she's not talking directly to Mary now. I think she's casting a sideways glance at her husband at this point, saying, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And she would have felt free to say this, knowing that Zacharias cannot respond. 
But she's commending Mary. Look at the contrast. Zacharias is an elderly man, a righteous, godly man. We don't want to take that away from him. He's given a pretty amazing announcement from Gabriel. Then we come to a teenage girl who's given an even more amazing announcement. And she says, okay. She believes. And Elizabeth is like, you, teenage girl, blow me away. Blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. I wish we could be more like this teenager. When God speaks his gracious words to us, his gospel words to us that we say, okay, I believe when God comes to us and says, because Christ died for you and shed his blood, all of your sins of a lifetime are forgiven. That we say, okay. When God says you are righteous with the very righteousness of Jesus. Okay. You are free from sin. There is no sin that has mastery over you. The reign of sin has been broken in your life. You don't have to sin anymore. Okay. I am sovereign, God says, and because you're a justified one, I work all things out uh, according to my will for your good and my glory. Absolutely everything. I'm always doing something. All of the pain, all of the hardship, all of the disappointments and the hurts. I'm working through all of them to do you good. Okay. When God comes to us and says, I love you, I love you. You are a highly favored one. Okay. Okay. If we could just be daring enough to believe what Mary was daring enough to believe. She's being asked to believe, I think, even more amazing things than what we're asked to believe. And yet she believed. There's another thing she does, a fifth response, and that is she surrendered. She surrendered. It says, And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me, According to your word. Again, this is amazing. She asks one question. That's all she needs to ask. Okay, Lord. I am your bond slave. I'm owned and operated by you. May it be done to me according to your word. How would you have responded? Ladies, imagine being engaged in a few months. You're having your wedding And you've got all these dreams about your wedding and how special it's going to be. You've got it all in your head. You've been talking about it, planning for it, your lifetime together and just thinking about all that kind of stuff. And imagine that during your engagement, an angel shows up and says, you today are going to conceive in your womb and give birth to a son who's going to be the Messiah, who's going to reign forever. And the biological father is going to be God. How would you respond? Well, I think a part of you would be ecstatic. This is an unbelievable honor and thrill. But would not a part of you start having other thoughts? Like, what about my wedding? What about my dreams as I have been dreaming them? This is not what I imagined. Would you say, Lord, I appreciate the honor of you coming to me, but could you ask someone else? Because I don't want this to mess up my plans. This is going to alter my life in a million ways. Ask someone else. Would you respond by saying, Lord, I, 
I'm wanting to say yes, but can you give me a day to think about it? Can you give me a week to pray about it and mull this over and consider the ramifications to make sure I'm okay with this? Would you say, Lord, I'm inclined to say yes, but can I can I offer some suggestions on some of the details here? Could this conception occur after I move in with Joseph? That way, Lord, I don't know if you've thought about this, but no one would suspect that my child would be illegitimate if I could offer that insight to you. And would you try to modify details? Would you ask a gazillion questions before saying yes? Would you want assurances? Would you be like, Lord, what about my parents? What are they going to think? Show me how you're going to work this out with my mom and my dad. They're not going to believe this. Tell me how you're going to work it out with my husband. He's not going to believe this. What about the townspeople? You got, you got to explain this to me, Lord. You can't just come to me and tell me these few things and expect me to submit. I need some answers and I need some assurances. Mary just submits. You know what that tells me about Mary? Mary was not a girl living for herself. And then this happens and she's like, oops, I better slip into surrender mode here. Lord, I submit. This is a girl who the day before woke up and said, God, I'm your slave. You own me. How do you want me to live? And the day before that, God, you own me. My life belongs to you. I do not exist to fulfill my dreams. I exist to fulfill your dreams. How do you want me to live? I surrender myself to you. This is a girl who lived in a state of surrender every day. She woke up this morning and she committed herself to the Lord, who was her master, who owned her, who had all rights to her to rearrange her life in any way that he saw fit for his glory and for her good. And an angel shows up and says, boom, here's what's going to happen. And Mary's like, "Okay, I'm your bond slave. May it happen to me according to your word. She was surrendered and did not she whatever details God's already thought all about that. And I can trust him. One writer says we are apt to take this Mary's response of surrender as the most natural thing. And accordingly, we miss Mary's quiet heroism. She was not yet married to Joseph. His reaction to her pregnancy might have been expected to be a strong one. And Matthew actually tells us that he did, in fact, think of divorcing her again. While the death penalty for adultery does not seem to have been carried out often, it was still there. Mary could not be sure that she would not have to suffer, perhaps even die. But she recognized the will of God and accepted it. There's one final response of Mary, and that is she worshiped. She worshiped when she meets up with Elizabeth. Elizabeth is like, blessed are you, Mary. And Mary, like immediately turns the focus to God and begins to worship God. And she says things like my soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. Behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. This is a theologically astute and well-grounded teenager. 
She knows who her God is. He's a mighty one. He's holy. He's a merciful God. He's done great things. I rejoice in him. He made promises to my ancestors going back to Abraham many, many years ago. And God is now fulfilling those promises. And the theological depth of her understanding informs this worship that she offers to him. Mary started off in a place of agitation and fear. And God moves her from there to a place of belief, a place of surrender, and a place of worship. Last slide, I'll show you what we observe here in this narrative, amongst other things, is that being perplexed, being afraid, having questions does not disqualify a person from salvation or from blessing. But what it comes down to is this, will you listen to God? Will you ponder his words as Mary pondered and thought deeply about them? Will you believe in him? Will you believe his words, especially God's gracious words to you? If you're here today and you've never believed in Jesus, God comes to you through his word and and speaks gracious words and says, I love you. You can't save yourself. You can't save yourself, but I love you. I love you so much that I sent my son into the world to die on the cross so that his blood can be shed so that I can bring you salvation and the forgiveness of all of your sins that you can never atone for no matter what you do. Will you believe his words? When God tells you, I raised my son from the dead and seated him at my own right hand to where now from this position of absolute authority, glory, honor and power Jesus is dishing out forgiveness and free and perfect righteousness to anyone who believes in him. Will you believe that staggering news? Will you surrender to his love, to his loving plan for your life? And will you become a worshiper of this God? That's a question to all of us this morning. Let me ask you to bow your heads. If you're here today and and you would love to know more about Christ, how you can have a relationship with him, I'm going to be sticking around afterwards. There'll be others up here at front. We've got some resources here if you would like them, but just come up to us, man. I, I would consider it a personal honor and privilege to just be able to answer whatever questions you have and help you along in your understanding of Christ and how you can experience salvation through him. God is a a gracious, wonderful God calling out to sinners like us ready so freely to, to save, to forgive, to speak so graciously to us. We're going to take up an offering in just a moment. We would encourage you to give as the Lord leads you to give. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for a sister of ours like Mary. What a a beautiful woman this is. We, We can learn from this teenager, Lord. May we live lives of surrender, lives of faith. 
lives of worship. You are looking for those who worship you in spirit and in truth. You're seeking worshipers and may you find worshipers among us in this room. I mean, if there's someone here today that prior to today has never believed in Jesus, may they believe even right now where they're seated. May they today become a worshiper of you, a believer in you as their their savior. Lord, as we close our service, we want to worship you as Mary did receive our worship. As we offer it to you at this time. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen.